Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast. I've got a very interesting guest, a very interesting chap called Jeff Corsmith with me tonight. And Jeff, I know through Instagram, his handle on Instagram, which he's better known as to many, is Mangalitsa Farmer NL. And Jeff is a Dutch farmer passionate about organic, local, home-reared, homegrown and sustainable food production, amongst other things. So Jeff, thanks for joining me. It's, uh, it's great to finally have a proper proper catch-up and not on uh, Instagram messenger all the time. Thanks for having me. Hello everyone. And um, I think we should come clean that we've had a pretty much technological disaster trying to get this uh, podcast (laughs) meeting up and running a few times now, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, it took a while but here we are. (laughs) Here, us simple farming folk have uh, have not nailed uh, technology, but we're here now. Yes, we are. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's do it. So, um, Jeff, you do lots of things. I think your your Instagram is where I know you from, and I'm quite interested in um, your philosophies on farming and food production, and uh, what looks like at times a pretty idyllic lifestyle, which Instagram is, does a very good job of showing. But you are very honest as well you're honest as well about the challenges that it presents. Um, But before we get into some of those kind of topics, can you tell me a little bit about um, how your farming journey began? You're not from a farming family, am I right? No, no, indeed. Um, The last farmers in my family were uh, my great grandparents, actually. And all of my grandparents were born on farms, but they all left the the farm to um, find other jobs. but I think both through my uh, both my grandfathers, I got the passion for nature, wildlife, farming. You know, the the land, working the land, um, taking care of animals. Um, one of my earliest memories is um, me on uh, a bike because we're Dutch after all, <laughs> uh, with my grandfather. Of course, not to be a stereotype. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. We went on a bike to to a nature reserve uh, to watch the rabbit and and to hear the blackbirds sing and stuff like that. So from a very young age, I was surrounded by nature and and on the land, so to speak. So um, yeah, I've always had animals ever since I was little. Uh, name an animal, and I've had it <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, at some point, um, one thing led to another, and I became more conscious about the food that I ate, and um, uh, yeah, the way I kept my animals. And I had chickens, for example, and we had sheep. And at some point, the animals became. Um, it wasn't a, a hobby anymore, <laughs> and um, yeah, I thought. You know, I'd seen things happening in agriculture that I didn't necessarily agree with, how animals were kept yeah. and how, you know, 
um, farms were run. And so I thought, um, be the change you wish to see. And, you know, that, that overused proverb. But, you know, the, for me, there was truth in it. And I thought the change that I wished to see was that even animals that are raised for food, um, you know, they still deserve a good life. And uh, yeah. I believe in a way of farming that isn't necessarily always taking from nature, but works more with nature. And so yeah. I became the change that I wish to see. And I started raising my animals um, uh, for, for food, but in a way that uh, I feel comfortable with. And yeah. Yeah. I think. And in balance, kind of in balance with the environment as well, right? Yes, definitely. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Now, before we get into your menagerie and what animals you have, because it's quite an impressive uh, list, um, you work. Like, if your farm is kind of your sideline, not your hobby, obviously, it's your living, but you also work in a totally different capacity for uh, for someone else. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. I work at um, the Hortus Botanicus in, in Leiden, which is um, the oldest botanical garden in uh, the Netherlands. It was yeah. founded in 1590. Uh, it's about three hectares big, and uh, we specialize in um, tropical and uh, temperate plants from uh, Asia. So, um, okay. yeah, yeah, it's something very different. Well, you know, plants are still somewhat related to, to the farming I do because I have a vegetable garden and, and orchard as well. But um, these are yeah. all... Um, yeah, wild plants, so to speak. So, um, uh, we have... Interesting job. We could, we could do a whole another podcast episode yes, on that. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I think what we have in common then, I, I get asked a lot. I have a, a background in um, garden design and, and plants as well. From a young age, I was a, a gardener and things. And I get asked, you know, well, what's the connection between being a vet and being a garden designer? That's a bit of a weird combination. Um, but I always just say flora and fauna. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I think if you like if you like one, you tend to have a bit of an affinity for the other. Sometimes both equally, I think. Yeah, yeah. If, I mean, if you if you're into wildlife, you know, you can be into the animals, but if there's no nature reserve for them or no, you know, no flora, <laughs> then there's very little wildlife to be enjoyed. So uh, exactly, yeah, it's, it's all food chain, isn't it? Indeed, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, that's what I like to do at work as well at, at the at the botanical garden is to stimulate as much uh, biodiversity as possible. For instance, um, now we have uh, I got some material to build uh, a kingfisher wall alongside um, the the canal that we are on because uh, we have brilliant yeah we have kingfishers visiting the the garden but they need like a steep um, riverbank and bank, yeah, yeah. yeah and all of our um, Riverbanks now are sloping, so it's not very suitable for them. Uh, there's food. So you're going to build an artificial bank? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the plan. It was supposed to happen uh, this year already, but then you know, Corona, something with Corona happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so uh, it got a slight delay, but I'm hopeful hopeful uh, that we'll get it into place before the breeding season starts next year. Well, we're in a very similar position uh, with the wildlife group I run, Healing Wildlife Group. We got, I think, eight or nine kingfisher tubes, and we wanted to put in um, at least three or four different artificial kingfisher nesting banks this year. But yeah, one little uh, global pandemic has kind of put paid to those plans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Same thing over here. <laughs> yeah. 
we'll get there in the end. The kingfishers are probably happy we're not out and about using the river as much. So it all balances out in the end, hopefully. Obviously, we 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 missed the visitors in the garden, but the plants and the birds yeah. actually thrived under the absence of um, about two hundred thousand visitors a year that we get. <laughs> and uh, I bet you've seen an incredible difference, have you? Yeah, yeah. Some of the plants, uh, you know, people. Part of the, the, the experiencing the garden is touching and feeling and smelling. Uh, which is fine, yeah. but you can imagine with such an amount of visitors, the plants suffer a little bit from it, and and yeah, um, yeah and and so we noticed that they are looking ever a little bit more um, healthy, and also that the birds are a lot more visible; they don't hide as much. Yeah, yeah. So good yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so back to your farm then. Yes. Um, what animals do you currently have? You've got quite a long list, right? Yeah, so I specialize in uh, Mangalitsa pigs. Um, they're yeah. a, 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 a very primitive, uh, large type pig from Hungary, um, yeah. which I raise. Um, they're they're um, a heritage breed, and I uh, have a few boars and breeding sows, and um, I raise them for for the meat and fat, and I also sell some as breeding animals and. Um, I'm very proud of the fact that uh, some of my animals, some of my pigs have gone all across the world because they're in uh, uh, in the US and Canada and Japan now and in some a few other countries in Europe. So, wow. yeah, yeah. So I do the pigs. Then I have um, egg-laying hens, which are out on pasture, um, yeah. which I move around in a movable chicken tractor and uh, electric netting. To protect, keep them safe from predators. Yeah, so. yes, yes, indeed. And also, I have two guard geese uh, to protect uh, the chickens against uh, birds of prey. Um, yeah. One of them is quite famous, the white one, for people that follow me on Instagram. His name is Aka. Aka. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's the star of the show. <laughs> then I have two we'll horses. We'll talk about his special talent in a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then, then I have two horses, two gypsy horses. Finnegan and Maggie May, good uh, good yeah. Irish names. Those, yeah. yeah, yeah. We got uh, the first one was a mare that we named Liffy because she was oh yeah she yeah, she was imported from Ireland uh, and turned out to be pregnant and then Finnegan was born. And then we got another wow. mare and we named her Shannon after another river in Ireland. Yeah, and then we got Maggie May and Shannon and Liffy has have since uh, passed away, but we still have Finnegan and Maggie May. Ah. Yeah, and then um, we. I also um, have uh, sheep. Uh, I have a deal with uh, with a petting zoo. I have a, a breeding ram there that breeds their ewes, and so yeah. the the um, the petting zoo has lambs to educate the children and you know to let them pet them. But once they um, uh, are off the mother's milk, then um, they come to me and they go out in pasture and and. Uh, they yeah, eat grass until they're ready to be butchered in the autumn. And yeah, that's how I do pastured lamb as well. Very good. And you um, breed a few different uh, varieties of poultry as well to sell, right? So yeah. like gene gen genetics and, and rare breeds are kind of part of your income stream or revenue stream yeah. as well, right? Yeah, basically all the animals that I have. Uh, I forgot the rabbits, by the way. I also have some uh, some, oh, yeah. some rare breed, <laughs> breed rabbits, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I believe very much in uh, the, the genetic diversity in the rare breeds. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's crazy that when you think about, um, for, for, uh, as example, the, the Holstein Friesian cows that you see in, 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 in you know, the, the average milk cow, the black and white and sometimes red and white milk cow that you see, there are millions and millions and millions of them. But in that population, there is less genetic diversity than there is uh, in than in giant pandas, which there are uh, really yeah. I, I think there are about six thousand giant pandas, but there is more genetic diversity in pandas than in those millions of uh, Holstein Friesian cows. And this is artificial selection at its best, and breeding at its best is like basically produce performing clones yeah. for maximum. Yeah maximum output and minimal input right yeah yeah indeed and that's why i'm also a big uh, supporter of natural breeding because in natural breeding what for instance what i do with my pigs i have boars and sows and there are no mangalitsa uh, boars on ai to begin with but if right. there were i wouldn't use them anyways i would still prefer natural breeding because from one breeding only the the, the you know the sperms that are um, the strongest will become will first yeah, yeah yeah become become um, uh, offspring but for instance if a bull jumps on 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 what I don't know the, the English name for them but the, one of those fake <laughs> cows and yeah in nature that would have been one calf but then you can get a hundred calves from that one jump which means yeah. that 99 of those calves would wouldn't have been born and are less um yeah, how do you say that? Um, Less fit for yeah, survival. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. That would, those ones wouldn't have been born. They would have been. They wouldn't have been viable. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, and and I think in 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 um, heritage breeds, um, I find them more durable. They, um, I, when I look at my, I have white Leghorn chicks now. The the uh, chickens. The yeah. the white Leghorn is uh, not a rare breed. Uh, they yeah they they produce the white eggs that we have in supermarkets. But the yeah. line that I have is um, a line of white leghorns that's been kept organically since the 1960s uh, on in farms in Sweden. So I imported the eggs from a farm in Sweden uh, and yeah. I put them out on pasture here, and they have the same um, egg laying uh, capabilities as quote unquote the ind- industrial leghorns. But if I put them out on pasture uh, and it rains, they will continue to lay, for example. And if I take an industry leghorn, uh, you know, they, they are bred to perform super well in a barn where everything's provided for them. And, uh, you know, they're in really controlled conditions yeah. that they can. Yeah. 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 And, and they wouldn't do well in, uh, in, in the conditions that I would like to raise my chickens in. So, yeah, that's that's a good example for why I believe in, in, in heritage breeds. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, most people, I think uh, it's fair to say most consumers of animal products, animal foods like meat or eggs or milk or whatever, yeah. they're not really aware, I suppose, of these kind of issues and how their purchasing choices make you know an impact on animal welfare or on the environment or sustainability. We hear a lot of stuff about, you know, anti-meat eating and things which we'll get to in a bit I know we have a lot to, to say on that yeah um, but the thing that kind of strikes me and um, I find really refreshing about like your content on social media and what you put out there 
is um, your attitude to food and meat in particular is, is quite engaging because you don't shy away from the fact that you do raise these animals for food. They are going to be killed and butchered and eaten and produce products for humans to consume. And you don't shy away from that. Um, and one of the things that I really like that you, you say to explain that sometimes is that you like to give your animals the best life they can possibly have. But there is a reality of what their purpose is and that they have kind of one bad day at the end. Um, I think that's that's a really, really good way of explaining it. But what what made you decide to be so open and so um, transparent about the whole process on your social media in particular? Um, I think part of the reason why there is, you know, the, this abuse on farms and slaughterhouse abuse and these horrible videos coming out is because it's all kept away from the the public. You know, yeah. there are no windows in slaughterhouses and no, uh, you know, when you go to one of those industrial farms, you have to, uh, you know, sometimes take a shower, put on some white suit and gloves and, 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 and cover your shoes and everything just to visit your yeah. food. And then to me, that, that that that's just so crazy. I mean, if you have to put on a suit to go visit your food, you might want to think about if you would really want to eat it. Yeah. And the way I do it, I, I believe in transparency. Um, if people want to, to uh, visit the farm to see how the animals are raised, they are always welcome. And uh, yeah, I, I, I just think that uh, th there is nothing to hide. I, 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 I want to see how the whole, I want to show how the whole process works. And so uh, I'm very honest about uh, everything that happens on the farm. Um, I show how the piglets are born. I show how they are, um, how they are raised. And even when they go to the slaughterhouse, I um, take the camera along as well. And I, I show people that. And once they're processed, I find, you know, many people don't even know if they have a piece of meat on, on, on their plate, where is that piece of meat on the animal? And, and there's so much, yeah, I don't know, a, a lack of information and, I can only do so much, but, but I, uh, I I really enjoy showing people uh, the whole process. And uh, yeah, yeah. Do you think there's a need to rewind a little bit, and in, in terms of educating young people, like what the realities are, where their food comes from? Because so many people I talk to about it, you've seen. You know, I did what you do in in micro on my own Instagram when mm -hmm. I. Um, killed and um ate the cockerel chicks that i raised yeah. um you know when they were cockerels they're fully grown um i you know couldn't keep them on the allotment um because of the, the noise they would make it's very hard to rehome them as pets they don't make good pets um and i just thought one of the costs of me raising replacement hen hens um from fertile eggs as chicks is i have to be prepared that i need to either find homes for or kill and eat the cockerel so their lives aren't wasted yeah but um you're doing that in in much larger scale but one of the continuous themes that came up when people were asking me about that like oh my god i couldn't do it myself i you know i just don't want to know where it comes from is this kind of willful ignorance that it's much easier to confront um meat eating or not confront meat eating if you just pick it up in a kind of sanitary plastic tray um off a supermarket shelf um and i think maybe there's there's a need for better education and kind of more reality of, of that transparency showing people where their food comes from at an earlier age would you agree with that yes yes definitely and um i have many 
people that buy meat off me that uh, take their kids uh, to come see the animals at the farm uh, first. And I can tell them, uh, you know, how, how it all happens and show them. And um, yeah. they even get to meet the animals that they're going to eat, uh, you know, one day. And um, I, 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 th I think that that really helps a lot in understanding the process and um, showing how it can also be done. It doesn't need to be a big industrial farm. It can also uh, be local, smaller scale um, and, you know, raised in a proper way. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. And one of the excuses I think I hear, you know, from people is, oh, either like a recent one was, you know, I don't think as a vet you should be showing you eating meat or cooking with meat or, you know, butchering your own cockerels and things because it's not the right decision. And coming from, surprise, surprise, a vegan, yeah, um, yeah. but a very respectful um, vegan who said, I just don't think you're making the right decision showing that. Um, but that was quite quite respectful um dialogue and um you know one of their criticisms was that's fine if you're kind of telling people there's a different way to do it but actually not everyone can raise their own meat not everyone can have land to to farm and, and produce their own food so what choice do we have but that's kind of passing the buck i think because actually it's our purchasing decisions yep. when we're shopping for food that actually trickle down to the farmer and to the government and say, this is what the consumer wants. And if every consumer just says, I have no control over this yeah. and basically accepts that I make my, I make my meat buying decisions based on cost and cost alone, then yeah, of course it's a race to the bottom and animal welfare is going to suffer. But I think we need to make more mindful decisions about number one, what kind of meat we buy if we are our meat eaters and how those animals lived, but also how often we eat meat, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, one of the main points I try to make to people is that you get to decide which kind of food system we have three times a day. You get to vote three times a day with your wallet. And if you yeah. vote for uh, a local organic food system, then that's what we'll get. I mean, the farmers will, they're happy to provide. Um, people often think that they are just having to do with what is offered, but it's actually the way, the other way around. Uh, the, the people are in control themselves and many don't realize that, but that's what I'm really trying to get across that you, you vote three times a day. And if you vote for a local uh, food system uh, where you can go to the farmer, have a look, pick up the food yourself, uh, then that's what we'll get. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And where those farmers are not impacting the environment in a, you know, large industrial scale agriculture kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, Which... I, I think that uh, many people think that meat is inherently bad for the environment, but uh, I... I was just going to say this next, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could not agree more. Of course... Uh, and that, that that's something that 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 bothers me sometimes about when when I talk to vegans. I mean, everybody can make their own choices. That's fine, but many times the vegans that come to me with with these things always take industrial uh, animal agriculture as their example. And of course, that's bad. I mean, I I don't disagree. I mean, that's I find that equally bad, and that's why it's why you do what you do, right? <laughs> yeah, that's why I do why how I do it. Uh, but it's, it's, it shouldn't be that way. I mean, 
and uh, nature uh, animals plants evolved together and uh, we just went the wrong way with industrial agriculture but let's fix it but that doesn't mean mean that meat is necessarily detrimental to the environment uh, it couldn't be further from the truth actually yeah yeah we'll talk about um kind of regenerative agriculture and and um how you know that kind of system for animal production is good for the environment in a sec but yeah. obviously you talked about you know conversations with vegans in particular yeah. you know who are obviously quite quite outspoken and sometimes can be um maybe vitriolic um in some cases to mm-hmm. to people who who raise meat and you know we hear things all the time like meat is murder and um you know kind of very simplistic arguments about um meat contributing to climate change as if all meat is created equal yeah have you have you received any like serious backlash um from some of the posts that you do on on social oh, media yes. many times <laughs> Uh, how bad yeah oftentimes people follow me for the cute piglet photos but they don't realize uh, oh yeah that those piglets are one day going to be butchered and 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 eaten uh yeah and you know that's the whole thing from showing them uh from the from the beginning to the end the the cute piglet photos are also part of it but those piglets are there for a reason and um uh, yeah, and then oft- and then w- when I, we get to the butchering part, then I get all the backlash. And what people sometimes do is, uh, when I make stories, when I'm in the slaughterhouse and I tr- show the processing of the meat, is they report the um, the story to Instagram, and then Instagram blurs it, and then I lose my way of sharing my information, getting my message across. And so, yeah, yeah, oh, God. that bothers me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no. To to yeah. to yeah. To me, there are there are two threads of veganism for me, and one is that there is no moral justification to uh, taking a life. They they equal animal lives to human lives, and but to me, that doesn't really indicate a new state of spiritual awareness. But it it really represents an unprecedented devolution into disconnectedness and misunderstanding of how ecology works. You know the, the the fact yeah yeah the fact that uh, the circle of of life which comprises of life death decomposition or digestion if you eat meat then regeneration life death the whole thing everything is yeah. eaten and being eaten and to me one of the most important realization is that without death there cannot be life that that's just how it is you know you cannot have life without death and um, so vegans who don't eat animals because they don't want to kill anything should really think about and realize that there is way more death occurring in a plant-based diet rather than an omnivorous diet because you know you're planting all these annuals like soybeans for tofu and vegetables etc which is wiping out wildlife which requires perennial systems like pastures and forests uh, to live in so the amount of life that is lost uh, for the tillage to grow vegetables and for a vegan diet is way more, you know, is way bigger than a cow going to the butcher or, uh, 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 you know, a pig going to the butcher. If a cow yeah. that is raised on a pasture, a perennial pasture with all sorts of herbs and, 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 and grasses and stuff, uh, if a cow eats the grass, it doesn't kill the grass plant, you know, <laughs> it can go on and on. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's an abundance of life, you know, that thrives alongside that system, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
and and then and the other thing I think with with kind of the vegan argument of like oh if I'm vegan I'm I'm doing less harm or I'm not killing anything is that even if you know let alone kind of you know the use of chemicals and things even if you're going like and only buying organic vegetables and organic crops mm-hmm. and things so you know there's less pesticides and herbicides and things used you're also actually there's still you know harm to biodiversity and a, an ecological desert effect of massive monocultures of, of these vegetable crops yeah. as well. So it's not grown in any uh, uh, permaculture way as of yet in, in you know, in, in big scales. So most of all those vegetables still are grown in big, indeed in big monocultures that require tillage. And, and then, uh, you know, if you plow a field and you plant stuff in it, you, those plants need to get their fertilization from somewhere. And nature provided yeah. away, which is animals. And so even if yeah. you need only plants, you still need the animals in one way or another because you need to get the nutrients to the plants. The nutrient cycle, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. 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 And also, um, the other thing, I've just uh, recorded another podcast earlier today. Um, we were talking about you know climate change and carbon sequestration um, mm-hmm. in the land and things growing tilling and you know plowing the land and growing annual crops um, large scale on it is just releasing carbon from the soil and it's not promoting healthy soil systems either because no. it all starts with soil doesn't it yes yeah that's the base yeah 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 um so i was going to ask you next about um kind of permaculture principles um mm-hmm. how can people you know you're implementing it on on quite a large scale and on your farm with you know animals feeding crops and and complementary livestock having different roles in terms of how you manage the land and pasture and things like that um yeah can people you know even with a small garden um operate permaculture principles or how can they learn from that kind of system to maybe even just grow a little bit of food at home what kind of tips would you give them oh definitely you don't need to have a lot of land to 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 do this you can do it in a small way uh as well how what I do, I can give an example for for uh, for my how we do it on my farm is for my vegetables, for example. Uh, I have a vegetable garden that I let the pigs till first, so they clear it off um, weeds and they put their manure down, and then I just plant in um, in 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 there. I don't have to do uh, anything to it. Um, my my uh, chickens go after the the horses. I have the electric netting, and they clear the horse manure. And uh, the byproduct of that is um, uh, the eggs. And yeah, what, what else? Um, you can combine different uh, plants, like fruit trees, and uh, you can plant other things below it, which bring out nutrients from from deeper in the soil. Like what's the English? name for it i'm trying to i know the name in dutch but <laughs> oh, right. English names. um but they're like peas and beans legumes is it yeah yeah and and um also um for instance what you do on your 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 vegetable garden is you you made a little pond which attracts um uh, animals like frogs and 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 salamanders and stuff and you, they, yeah. your pest control you don't have to spray anything um you you know yeah. you you provide something for wildlife and uh they'll 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 thank you uh by eating all your 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 pests so. that's it i had i had zero slug damage on my plot this year yeah indeed planting out tiny little seedlings everywhere yeah um i think there was two maybe zero is is an exaggeration there were two purple broccoli 
uh, seedlings that got a little bit nibbled, but they're, they're thriving now. Mm-hmm. And it's because, as you say, I don't use any chemicals. I certainly don't use slug pellets that actually attract slugs in. That's how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got hedgehogs and newts and, you know, blackbirds and um, frogs and all sorts, basically yeah. acting as a pest control. And then this, this week, um, I, my broad beans, I thought they were doomed because it's been a really bad year for blackfly. And um, just this week, there's like a plague of uh, ladybird larvae munching away on all my blackfly uh-huh. and the broad, bean, broad beans are bouncing back. So it's about kind of, it's sort of about number one, emulating nature and how natural ecosystems work, yeah. but yeah. also giving it a helping hand and um, sometimes just stepping back and letting nature do its thing, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I recall um, a project which um, I used to work at a wildlife rehab center years ago. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that area where that uh, center was located, there are a lot of um, tree growers. So they grow trees for for gardens, like like yeah. to sell at garden centers. And um, a lot of pesticides were used in that process. And then we made we made a project where we would build um, like kestrel nest boxes and little owl nest boxes. And we would, uh, yeah, and and we would, um, uh, and even for um, for um, uh, blue tits and gray tits, and yeah. and we would give them to those uh, to those farmers who grew those trees. And if they, uh, you know, they could install them there, and um, you know, the, the the kestrels and the little owls would catch all the the, the, the mice and stuff that would damage the, the and the voles that would damage the roots of the trees. Yeah, and um, you know all the all the, the 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 small songbirds they caught all the bugs and stuff, and so that way they didn't have to use uh, chemicals, and you know nature was given a helping hand as well. So, yeah, I'm seeing that on my allotment as well. Anyone yeah. who follows me on Instagram will see my um, blue tit boxes and chicks this year. The mm-hmm. saga of the two boxes, <laughs> um, but just at the time when you know I was planting out those broad beans. Um, the blue tits were returning to the nest to feed their chicks with mouthfuls of aphids, mm-hmm. um, green fly and black fly. Um, so yeah, I think we have to have to step off our use of chemicals and and um, processes that really just poison everything. Yeah, um, and and learn from nature. Yeah, uh, indeed. She yeah. knows. She knows best. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You can't argue with nature. She wins, anyways. So whether you, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, I'm thinking. I'm thinking next year I'm just not going to do broad beans because I don't even really like them that much and they're just taking up space and I don't get a good yield. So I'll choose something that's going to be more resilient in, in my plot. Let's see. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so moving away from kind of, you know, regenerative agriculture and farming and, and kind of um, food ethics and morals and things mm-hmm. like that, it's a fascinating topic. I could definitely talk to you for hours on. Oh, same. But I want to talk... so much to tell about that. I know, yeah. I know. But I want to talk to, about something more personal, which is, um, again, I said at the start, you know, Instagram can be a great place, but it can also be a place that kind of paints a picture of people's lives that is beautiful and rosy and um, looks amazing and picturesque. I'm looking at, you know, the gorgeous open landscape that you're surrounded by at a sunset here on your profile. And I'm looking at <laughs> the glorious image of, you know, your, your chickens running across a pasture in summertime and it, it all looks lovely, but you don't shy away from showing it in the depths of darkest winter where it's like an absolute mud fest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you also don't shy away from talking about your struggles, I suppose, as 
a farmer and um, the social social isolation that yeah. comes with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and specifically as a gay man, as a gay farmer, it can be quite difficult um, sometimes to be that isolated um, in a rural area. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, indeed. I, uh, I'd like to show all aspects of, uh, of, of farm life and um, it in many, many ways is a beautiful life and I, I wouldn't want it any other way. But... <laughs> it's not always beautiful and um and and sometimes uh, it can be a bit a bit emotionally draining and i think that many farmers can attest that to that straight ones too um yeah but yeah i think specifically as a gay farmer um i think what i notice is that a lot of a lot of guys like the whole farmer fantasy you know the, the rugged farmer on the farm <laughs> surrounded by animals you know that that idea how they romanticize it and then i say okay you know that's yeah fine but, but come come and visit me on the farm then and then bring they, it on yeah <laughs> and then and then they come and they yeah yeah so you know let's cuddle some piglets and this and that and you know they like it in in their fresh white trainers yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> friends of mine were visiting the other day and indeed they uh, yeah. wore white trainers they- they didn't dress for farm life. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, so so they come and then they they initially like it, but once the novelty is worn off and they realize that it's actually work and mm. they want to go to some sort of festival on the weekend or whatever and I have to do farm work, you know, then very quickly they, you know, start having second thoughts and, you know, they, they like city life and, and the conveniences of every, having everything close by in a city. And, and I have to say that in the Netherlands, we're really spoiled because it's a small country and nothing is really far away, but still. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, guys like the idea, but in reality, it's, I guess, a little less appealing. So, yeah. yeah, but even from a more detached point of view, just I guess you've talked about your opportunities for going and, and having a social life and meeting, you know, potential dating and, and potential partners and things like that is limited to some extent by doing what you love. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 It is. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, but you've had um, you you have had a few bonuses though, like bits of exposure. Like your, tell us about your your gay pinup moment as a farmer. <laughs> I'm going to embarrass you now. No, no, no. Uh, uh, you mean the the World Naked Gardening Day photos or or the the? Oh no, we can come to that later. Weren't you like a, a cover cover oh, star? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that was uh, so Mannschaft magazine, which is a German, Austrian, Swiss uh, gay magazine. They did uh, an article on gay farmers in Europe, and uh, they yeah. put me on the on the cover. And of course, I was part of the of the interview. There were some other farmers that were were interviewed as well. And uh, so you're a cover girl, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> you're a cover girl. Yeah, cover girl. Put the bass in your walk. No, it's just a real RuPaul. <laughs> RuPaul's Drag Race reference for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if all my listeners uh, watch RuPaul, but go on. Yeah, so that's how I go from one extreme to the other, from being the, the rugged farmer to watching RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a mixed life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, that, that, was, uh, that was really fun to do. And um, 
uh, there's a there's a nice little Instagram community of uh, of, of gay farmers, and uh, we we um, we hang out online uh, sometimes, and uh, it's yeah. fun to share experiences and uh, yeah, and 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 just knowing people that are similar to you. That's that's yeah, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it leads me nicely onto the next point, which is I find absolutely hilarious. You talked about um, World Naked Gardeners Day. You generally uh, go all out for that uh, cause and and post <laughs> quite daring um, images on your Instagram each year when that that day rolls around. Yeah, but um, you've talked about the fact that you've got a very uh, very much a fifty fifty audience of people who are into farming. Yeah, and um, gays. And sometimes when you uh, go from one extreme of content to the other, you lose the opposite audience. Isn't that right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, one like what I what I mostly show is is you know stuff on the farm, um, yeah. And 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 that's what the farmer follow follow me for. And then I post like a a photo of me, and that one gets like three times the amount of likes than let's say a photo with the pigs on it um yeah and so yeah if i post too much farm stuff the gays leave and if i post too much gay stuff the farmers leave so so it's a, a tricky balance yeah. yeah yeah and in the end i'm i just i'm like i'm just gonna post whatever i like and if people enjoy it then i guess they'll stay and if they don't then that's fine too that's but, yeah. the, right, the right attitude authenticity yeah. right yes it is <laughs> yeah Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, it's very, it's very amusing <laughs> when you post about that. Um, so, what is next for uh, Mangalitsa Farmer? Do you have any big plans, or is, is it kind of just business as usual? Um, what's next for the farm itself? For the farm, it's just continuing as usual, I guess. Uh, for the time being, um, you can imagine that working two jobs uh, is quite uh, draining. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. For example, if I have to uh, to give a, a like a an explanation of how my day works, I leave the house at six to take the train to Leiden to the botanical garden. Um, I get there at eight, so and then I work till half past four, five o'clock. Then it's a two-hour journey back. Then I go straight to the farm, feed all the animals there, do uh, the vegetable garden, and then around 10 o'clock in the evening, it's usually time for me to have dinner. And that's five days a week. And then on the weekends, I uh, do the extra jobs, like moving the animals or you know, fixing, fencing, pruning, whatever. Yeah. And then there's a little bit of social life. So, <laughs> so uh, Not much time. How much social time? No, not much. Oh, well, not much. No, 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 not not so much at all. But I'm very, very thankful that sometimes um, my dad helps out on the farm as well. He's got a busy office job, and so for him, uh, getting out on the farm is is um, a little bit of relaxing as well. So he he doesn't mind uh, helping me out sometimes. So when I when there's really something fun going on that I really want to go to, then I can uh, count on him. Uh, thankfully. That's good. You've got yeah. that, uh, that help for sure, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really helps. And then, but so yeah, um, for the moment, um, the the farm will continue as usual, um, whilst trying to maintain a social life. But in the in the long run, um, the the farm I farm on land that belongs to family. I I don't own it. Um, but yeah. I'm very fortunate to to be able to uh, farm there. Um, but I would like to to yeah own my own land at some point. 
Um, yeah. But in the Netherlands, it's very, very expensive to buy land. We're a very crowded country, 17 million people. Um, so I'm not sure if in the long term my future will be in the Netherlands. I've, I've, I've lived in New Zealand as well, which I loved, but New Zealand's very, very far away from everybody. The country itself is, is amazing. Uh, and I also traveled around Europe and I went to Transylvania in Romania uh, two years ago and fell in love with the place. So m I maybe might just see myself living there in the future. But then, okay. yeah, you get to that, you know, being a farmer alone in Romania without a dad to fall back on. is <laughs> That's a and starting from scratch with your social network. Yeah, and yes, that being yeah. single, uh, that's also quite a big hurdle. So. It's a bit, yeah. it's a bit uncertain, but yeah, for certain there, there, there's going to be farming in the future, animals, plants, yeah. all of that. But where I don't know yet. For the foreseeable future, it will be in this location where I have the farm now. But um, you never yeah. know where I'll end up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know about my uh, future farming aspirations. I don't know when it will happen, but I'm pretty sure it will happen in some in some form or other mm. down the line. What would be your advice um, to someone like me who dreams of owning kind of their own farm in the future or is coming into um, farming either as a hobby or as a, a business mm -hmm. um, kind of a bit later in life or with no background specifically in farming, like in their immediate family? What would be your advice to them? Um, go do an apprenticeship with a farm, uh, visit farmers, get get uh, acquainted with, with local farmers, uh, maybe do some woofing at uh, different, uh, I don't know if people are familiar with woofing, with the program. I am, but you want to explain it, what it is? Yeah, it's, so it stands for Willing Workers on Organic Farms. And so it's basically, uh, yeah, I guess you could describe it as an apprenticeship you do at a farm. And, and the farms provide uh, uh, lodging. Uh, it's a program that's all over the world. And uh, they're organic farms. So most people that want to, I don't know, anybody that's not a farmer that wants to get into a farm, into farming or into agriculture that wants to start an industrial farm. Most people that uh, want to start farming want to start farming organically. Um, yeah. Read book. So that's an, interesting, that's an interesting observation. Do you think the tide is turning and... Um... People are finally waking up to the fact that we can't continue to industrial farm. I think so. Yeah, I think the the there are many new people who start farming, and um, uh, they all want to do it differently than 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 how they do it. Even I mean, even if you want to start an industrial farm from scratch, it takes millions. So you yeah have to be a millionaire to to begin with, and you don't have to be a millionaire to start a small scale organic farm that 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 you can grow through the years. So yeah, um, you can scale it up, right? Yeah, yeah. I did a I did a, a master class with Joel Salatin from Polyface Farm, a very famous farmer yeah. in, in the US. Yeah. He came to the Netherlands. I've read several of his books. One in particular that I can really recommend is called You Can Farm, which he wrote specifically for people that um want to get into farming but are not from farming backgrounds. And I recommend that book to all of my friends. It was really a game changer for me. And uh I took so much wisdom from it and um yeah that really helped me a lot he's great and he's got a, amazing youtube videos as well for anyone that's interested mm -hmm. in um, that kind of um content yeah even uh he, he he's got um a dvd series out called the the, the polyface uh no it's called the salatin semester and in which ah, he okay. in which he um 
shows all aspects of his farm. So the 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 pastured uh, uh, meat, the uh, beef, pastured chickens, um, the piggery, the pork, um, what else? The rabbits, uh, everything. So it's and that's really uh, he goes through it step by step. It's really really informative. Brilliant. Yeah. Now I was going. I'm going to ask you the final question, but I actually remembered. I forgot to ask you about Aka the Goose's uh, party trick. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just looking at a picture of you and Aka together, and he's up on your arm, flapping his wings, about to perform. I think. Yeah, yeah. He, especially when springtime comes around, he gets really, really excited. <laughs> yeah and you've got a very close bond <laughs> yeah yeah i think he loves me a, l- a little bit more than i love him sometimes which is very noticeable when he tries to mate with me <laughs> yeah. yeah and um you don't shy away from showing that whole process either no showing I'm, it all i'm showing it all <laughs> um i believe i i'm a vet and i believe it's probably the first time i've ever seen a goose money shot. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it's the first for everything. <laughs> there sure is. You're always learning when you're surrounded by animals in nature. Yeah. <laughs> right. Look on that. On that note, we'll we'll wrap up. But before we do, I'm asking a lot of my guests the same question, which is, um, what if I met you on Instagram? What are your top three Instagram accounts that you'd recommend people to follow if they've enjoyed this podcast? <laughs> Uh, well, yours for sure. <laughs> uh, oh, but, we'll, we'll exclude that because they probably do already if they're listening. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say that. Um, let me think. There are so many good ones. Um, it, it's a hard question, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's one uh, called "Growing Back to Eden." There's a guy called yeah. Nick Nick Ager Ager. I don't know how you pronounce his last last name. Uh, he. Um, is I think you'd call an apprentice with Paul Gauchi, who does uh, Back to Eden gardening. Um, okay. So so he's really he's got a really great uh, account. Then ooh, do you mind if I take my phone out and and have a little quick look? No, go for it. <laughs> let, let me see. This, this question does uh, put people on the spot for sure. Um, <laughs> it's hard it's hard to pick, but um, yeah, I think the ones you interact with most do tell. Yeah, um, cool. Uh, I think most of them will be farming, uh, farming accounts. Um, there's one called Start a Farm. Uh, okay. Of um, uh, a lady named Blair, and she is a single mum farming with three kids, uh, four kids. I mean, in the in in the mountains in California, which is really inspiring uh, as well. And wow. then let me see then and then let's 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 take a plant uh, a plant account and that's actually the the account of my my boss uh, Rogier van Vught. It might be yeah. a bit difficult to pronounce uh, or, uh, for for, for uh, English uh, speakers, but the Instagram Instagram uh, account is his name Rogier van Vught. Um Can you spell it for us? R O uh, let me see if he put dots uh, in it. I'm not sure. Uh, let me look it up quickly. So it's R-O-G-I-E-R-V-A-N-V-U-G-T. And um, he is like 
literally Wikipedia on legs when it comes to plants. He knows, I don't know anybody who knows more about plants than him. And his, uh, plant, his, his, his account is all about plants and super, super informative. So yeah, I've had a look and I've had a quick chat with him because I know you he comes highly recommended by you. Yeah, and we're planning on having him on um, in a few weeks. Oh, um, as happy to hear that. Where I talk all about plants and how wonderful they are and bizarre things that they can do that people don't realize. Yes, 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 definitely. Yeah. Cool. Well, look, Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Um, really, really interesting. I think we could have done a four-hour episode of this <laughs> podcast if we really dug deep on some of those topics. But um, it's good to get an overview. And for anyone who has been interested, um, follow Jeff, Mangalitza Farmer NL, Netherlands. Um, really, really interesting account. Um, if you like farming and if you like gay stuff <laughs> and if you just like Bit of um, really, really interesting and thought-provoking um posts on instagram that isn't all just shiny and um happy all the time it's reality and it's authentic so thanks again um for coming on it's been it's been an absolute pleasure oh thank you so much i really enjoyed it it was great talking to you and long 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 overdue a visit we've been talking about it now for probably a couple of years but once this lockdown is over and i can uh get to amsterdam and back safely without having to go into quarantine, yeah. I will be there with bells on. More than welcome. <laughs> and we'll meet up with our mutual friend, Pa, who she, we should give a shout out now. Hi, Pa. Hi, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> you call him Patrick, I call him Pa. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, look, um, we'll leave it there. Um, thanks again. And um, as I say, it's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Bye, guys. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast with myself, Sean McCormick, produced and edited by Thomas Dinas. If you're enjoying the series so far, I would really appreciate it if you consider donating to our Patreon link below. That will really help us out with producing the podcast and covering the costs involved. See you next episode. Mm-hmm.